But what I want to run through um, is the themes in existing literature, um, give an overview of a European research project um, I did recently, um, offer some conclusions and key messages from both that research and the literature, um, some practice implications and the remaining evidence gaps, and then I will just flag up a little bit more about the Freshers to Finals project again. Um, so in terms of existing research with and about LGBTQ young people, um, it's dominated by work related to secondary school and or bullying, which has already kind of come up already, um, and experiences and views on university or access to higher education in general are less often explored. What does exist in the field tends to come from the United States, where research is often focused on campus climate, so you'll see this phrase campus climate quite a lot. Um, so I'd like to give a brief overview of the issues documented um, before turning to look at my own uh, research. So just to note, I'm going to try to focus on UK-based literature uh, for today, but in general the project and when the report comes out, um, I will draw on the kind of US-dominated literature that I've mentioned. Um, but either way, I've kind of picked out these themes that are existing um, in literature. So the work that looks at discrimination, prejudice and bullying, and there's kind of masses of that. Um, and then also uh, drawn out this kind of stuff about financial issues, accommodation issues, facilities and service provision, curriculum and course content, careers related issues, and then finally issues about geography. I'm obviously only going to cover some of this um, stuff fairly briefly. Um, so in the UK, research by Ellis, undertaken in 2006, reported that homophobia existed on campuses across the UK with 23% of students surveyed indicating they'd experienced homophobic harassment or discrimination at least once and usually from other students. Moreover, 54% of respondents had deliberately concealed their sexual or gender identity. So she concluded that whilst the prevalence of homophobic incidents on campus is quite low, and to quote, LGBT students do not particularly perceive a climate of fear, but actively behave in ways that respond to such a climate. In 2009, the Equality Challenge Unit published research on both LGBT staff and students' experiences in higher education. And this reported that, in general, transgender students encountered a higher proportion of negative treatments, including physical threat, than LGB students. Though 47% and 43% of LGB and transgender students, respectively, had received homophobic, biphobic or transphobic comments from other students and 9% and 19% of LGB and trans students respectively had received such comments from their lecturers. Over 60% were not out to teaching staff because they were cautious about or feared discrimination. And later research by Keenan, I'm not going to steal your thunder but I am going to talk about you a little bit, <laughs> found that although universities often speak publicly of their commitment to equality and diversity, including LGBTQ rights, this does not necessarily match the everyday lived experience of LGBTQ students, with incidents of verbal abuse and physical violence still apparent. Though the former was more common than the latter, both still appeared to influence students' perceptions of safety on campus. And as with Talk Johnson's earlier research, some language that could be described as offensive was minimised and explained as banter, but Keenan notes that nevertheless this continues to mark LGBTQ students as other. Research published by the NUS last year particularly highlighted the experiences of trans students 
identifying that just 21% of trans students felt completely safe whilst on campus, and by contrast, 37% of LGB students felt completely safe. So overall, one in five LGB and one in three trans respondents had experienced at least one form of bullying or harassment on campus, but levels of reporting of verbal or physical abuse was low. Even incidents of physical assault had only been reported in a third of cases. So the NUS concluded <coughs> there were often no clear points of contact for those experiencing physical or verbal assault on campus and recommended that students' unions should become third-party hate crime reporting sites. So then turning to look at the finance issues, uh, again the ECU research reported that LGBT students had experienced both a fear of losing financial support from their families if they <coughs> discovered their identities and actual loss of financial support, though only in a minority of cases. A further 3% of LGB students and 9% of trans students are estranged from their parents and consequently do not receive their financial or indeed any other support. So I think we can assume that these fears might impact on decision making about levels of outness, at least to families. A more recent research by the NUS indicated that LGB students were less likely to receive information on their financial entitlements from family members than heterosexual students and were less likely to receive financial support or help paying for their course from their families. And perhaps as a result, LGB students were more likely to be in debt and in higher amounts of debt than their heterosexual counterparts. So there are also specific issues about university accommodation, although again lots of this evidence is from America rather than Britain. So the ECU research, some students described experiencing homophobic abuse in university accommodation and what they felt was inappropriate responses to this within institutions suggesting that they should move accommodation rather than what they saw as the perpetrators. Some participants suggested they would like to be able to request gay-friendly housing, but others were clear they did not want to be segregated in specialist housing, but wanted institutions to work to create safe, inclusive spaces within their accommodation. And this research also identified that accommodation can be a specific concern for trans students because of some institutions' gender-based housing practices that may or may not include shared bathrooms. <coughs> And Talk Johnson summarised that university accommodation has been found to be intolerant, unwelcoming, hostile and homophobic. Though some of the references for this statement date back to the 1980s. In his own later research with young gay men, he found evidence of vandalism being used to permanently brand participants' doors with anti-gay sentiments, causing some to voluntarily transfer accommodation and others to modify their behaviour to not allow gayness <coughs> to have a visible presence in the accommodation. And then looking at research in America with <coughs> lesbian and bisexual women specifically in university halls, this again identified similar experiences of a hostile environment as a result of direct and indirect harassment and lack of support from both roommates and other residents. And other literature from America which focused on trans students similarly to the ECU research in the UK reported concerns about shared housing and bathrooms. Krum et al. explored the housing preferences of transgender and gender non-conforming people when considering living on campus, and apartment-style housing and self-contained singles were the most preferred options. 
And Seelman has also recently identified that trans women are at greater risk than gender non-conforming people for being denied access to housing and bathrooms. And then I've brought together a kind of series of different issues within this banner of facilities and services. So last year's NUS research reported that trans students felt the main difficulties on campus were the lack of gender-neutral toilets and facilities, the lack of policies to support updating their name and gender on the student register, issues relating to university security services and the general prevalence of transphobia. The report suggested that being repeatedly misnamed or misgendered represents a serious barrier to trans inclusion and their appreciation of higher education. And I've also found this with younger students, and I would argue that the importance of desired name and pronoun usage is often misunderstood and under-acknowledged within much LGBT youth research that often tends to focus on perceived intentional bullying amongst peers. On a more positive note, LGBT societies and groups on campus may have an impact on LGBT students' experiences of higher education, though I'd suggest we don't yet know enough about that potential impact. However, the NUS research reported that 28% of LGB students and 42% of trans students were members of their institution's LGBT society. And interestingly, 45% of LGB respondents and 52% of trans respondents were aware of their institution's LGBT society before they applied there. But I think we need to be able to compare how many other students were aware of particular societies, whatever they may be before applying to see if this is actually significant. But there is some evidence to suggest that university information influences choice of institution for LGBT students. In the ECU research, their identity had been a factor in choice making for 15% of LGB and 24% of trans students, with a report proposing that positive images of LGBT people in university brochures, prospectuses and on websites had influenced students' decisions. An American research has also indicated that the existence of an LGBT student organisation is used as a key indicator of a safe campus, thus influencing student decision-making. <coughs> so moving on, curriculum content and LGBT visibility is kind of a massive area within the academic literature. Um, but again, less so in university settings than in schools. Uh, so just to give a really brief overview, Ellis reported that LGBT issues were inadequately represented in the curriculum. Only a minority of her respondents felt comfortable raising these issues in class. And Keenan has also described LGBTQ experiences of higher education as marginalised through invisibility. And their research published last year, the NUS asked respondents on a scale of 1 to 10 how much <coughs> they agreed with the statement I see LGB experiences and history reflected in my curriculum. LGB students scored at this an average 3.9. The equivalent question, I see trans experiences and history reflected in my curriculum, resulted in an average 2.5 from trans students. Although it has already come up this morning, there may be disciplinary differences. For instance, with students in science disciplines, experiencing more negative attitudes and classroom climates towards LGBT issues than those in other disciplinary areas. And the ECU research that um, Vicky mentioned found statistically significant relationships between experiences of homophobic and biphobic comments and the disciplines they were studying. 
and she mentioned that there was some surprising subjects and some not so surprising subjects, but actually what's surprising is the length of subjects. So they found it in medicine, dentistry, veterinary science, agriculture, related subjects, engineering, business administration studies, European languages, literature and related subjects, and education. So although LGBT experiences of the workplace is an established field of study within the UK, I haven't been able to find any UK literature specifically on careers-related advice and support for LGBT students. So obviously, if any of you know of some, then please do tell me. Um, but I'm aware of the development of LGBT-specific mentoring schemes for students at some institutions, including at ours, Sheffield Hallam. So evidence from America has identified that non-heterosexual students experience less support and guidance, and that those who had experienced anti-LGBT discrimination in the past were most likely to report their identity influencing their academic and career choices in both positive and negative ways. Research has also suggested that perceived discrimination contributes to vocational indecision and that transgender students face unique challenges that many university careers advisors are not equipped to handle. Findings elsewhere indicate that lesbian students' perceptions of campus climate are important in predicting their career development with positive perceptions appearing to enhance vocational advancement. And a final area, which again is massive, and I'm kind of skimming the surface, but um, is decision-making about university location. So Talk Johnson outlined choices about moving towards and away from specific locales which was perceived as gay-friendly and accepting, or conversely intolerant and repressive. This builds on previous research which identified participants wanting to move to universities with large gay scenes nearby, which were thought to be more tolerant and supportive. So the pull and push factors Talk Johnson identified echo broader research on LGBT migration patterns. And the presence of commercial scenes in drawing people to urban locations features in a wealth of LGBT-related research, including that on university choice-making. But interestingly, in the ECU research, a postgraduate student had chosen to move to a large city from a smaller rural campus, but reflecting on both experiences, he said he had felt safer as an undergraduate because of the closeness environment of the rural campus institution and because the conduct of those on site could be policed more easily than at the large urban university he'd moved to. I've just kind of put that in as a way of us questioning the, the, the draw to the urban kind of all the time. So I just wanted to try to draw some of that together and look at what might be the potential impact of those issues. So from the NUS research, one in ten trans students never felt comfortable to speak up in class, whilst LGBT students who were out teaching staff tended to feel more confident to speak up in class than those who were only out to their friends. And the research also found that LGBT students were more likely co to consider dropping out than heterosexual students, with 56% of LGBT students citing the feeling of not fitting in as the main reason for considering dropping out. Over half of trans respondents had seriously considered dropping out of their course. And perhaps not surprisingly, LGBT students who had experienced homophobic or transphobic harassment were two to three times more likely to consider leaving their course. And one in seven respondents also reported interrupting their studies related to their transition. 
and the earlier ECU research also reported that 20% of LGB students had taken time out of their course related to their sexuality, homophobic discrimination or bullying. And I know there's loads of unpicking you could do there. Um, and similarly, 29% of trans students had taken time out due to trans-related issues, transphobic bullying or harassment. So even based on this really brief examination of available literature, we can see that LGBT experiences may directly impact upon retention rates, which you would think would be a reason for university concern alone, aside from the obvious well-being and rights-based arguments. However, and this is really important, despite all this evidence, in the NUS research, LGBT students overall still had a positive view of higher education and tended to find university a safer space than the rest of society. And equally, in the earlier ECU research, the majority of students responding to the survey said their institution had enabled them to be themselves by coming out as LGB or trans. So this could highlight that students tend to minimise their negative experiences, and we've seen some examples of that, and higher education levels can be erroneously conflated with tolerance, so that events which can be read as homophobic can actually be framed, experienced and made sense as not. But it also clearly might say something about wider society and fears surrounding that, whether these are well-founded or not. And I realise that's a, a massive debate about surveillance and censoring and we may or may not want to get into that. So I'm now going to um, turn to look at the European research um, I mentioned, which was for Iglio. And it focused specifically on the impact of homophobic and transphobic bullying or discrimination on continuing in education or pursuing employment. So the number of responses were modest and drawn from diverse locales. So I'm not going to claim the results are representative or generalisable, but I would argue they're useful because of their focus which shifted concentration away from mental health and emotional well-being, where much bullying research is dominated, towards examining and helping us to think about implications for education and employment, which obviously isn't to say I'm not bothered about mental health and emotional well-being, but I think that's kind of an interesting shift. So the research utilised an online self-completion survey, which included both open and closed <coughs> questions, and it was targeted specifically at Croatia, Denmark, the Republic of Ireland, Italy and Poland, which they'd chosen um, for countries, and they, they kind of just cascaded it via their networks there, <coughs> but actually it morphed into something much bigger. And there were responses from people across Europe including Belgium, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Finland, France, Germany, Iceland, Lithuania, Malta, the Netherlands, Norway, Span Spain, Turkey and the UK. Um, and then again to give you a really kind of quick picture of the participants, they self-identified as young, which is kind of really interesting because the age range was from 15 to 38 uh, with a mean average of 25. Respondents identified as gay, whether male or female, lesbian, bisexual, and smaller numbers saying queer, unsure, questioning, and heterosexual. A little under half identified as male, and around a third as female, with fewer saying gender queer, gender variant, and trans, and 6% had at some point identified as trans. Just under half were actively involved in full-time education at the time, about a quarter in part-time employment, 17% in part-time education, 16% full-time employment, and smaller numbers were either on another course or apprenticeship or were categorised as neat. 
Over a third had high school qualifications, a quarter undergraduate university degrees, and a quarter postgraduate or doctoral degrees. So in terms of the context for them talking about further and higher education, um, the majority had had negative experiences at school. Um, so over half had been outed, over three quarters had experienced rumours or gossip, just under three quarters experienced name calling, just under half experienced threats or intimidation, and over a quarter experienced physical assault. So they said this influenced their peer relationships and their schoolwork. For around half said they struggled to concentrate, did not feel motivated, chose not to participate in class, and 40% felt they did not acquire skills at school as well as they should have done, and 37% thought they achieved lower marks as a result. But again, there's more complexity, because not everyone was negative about their experiences, <coughs> and some specifically said it influenced their future education and employment in a positive way. So I actually think it helped to improve my grades for the most part as I wanted to get out of school and into college as fast as possible. And another said it caused me to reiterate with an I'll show them attitude, causing me to aim higher. And these kind of, um, you could call them resilient, you could call them defying, however you um, construct them, they are very rarely feature in lots of the work about bullying, um, kind of how, how young people respond. In terms of the future, respondents were asked to think about the impact of any bullying or discrimination on their aspirations and plans. So the majority did not think that their educational career aspirations had been restricted, but over a third thought that their experience had influenced their choice of job or career and choice of studies. So again, some illustrations from the data. One said... I think it affected me in a positive way. I chose to study to become a teacher because I want to have the opportunity to talk about homophobia and bullying. By contrast, another said, I feared working in caring roles because I feared what people would say if they found out I was gay and working with vulnerable people. And some people thought there were specific difficulties or barriers to accessing further and higher educational training for LGBTQ young people, including regarding subject or course choice, but also more generally. So one said, I worry if it will be a safe space for me. I worry about repeat experiences similar to school. I worry about being able to participate as fully as I want to. And from a slightly different perspective, another commented, but giving weight to the first one, uh, given that university and further education is a completely different environment, the challenge is convincing people that things are different. Many people think that it will be more of the same, but the truth is there are entire communities within college and most are accepting of LGBT people. So the influences on choice of studies and choice of job or career often related to location. So again, an example, someone said, lots of locations are not suitable for young gay people to attend further or higher education. I've limited myself to one or two locations based on this. Whilst perceptions about particular universities or cities might have made some people avoid those places, it could also make institutions or areas more attractive, with a sense of the potential offered by moving away to pursue further or higher education, which has already been explored in previous research I cited. So again, an example, universities are located in bigger cities, which allows LGBTQ students from small villages and towns to move and live their sexuality more openly. So it's this kind of 
and the, the move to the urban is kind of a really dominant message. Respondents were asked if their time at university or in higher education had been affected by any bullying, discrimination or fears related to their identity. For the majority it had not, but for under a third, just under a third it had. So those who had been to university and continued in education reflected on their study since leaving school. And the clear majority had felt left out or isolated at some point, which links in with the early research about fitting in. 69% had struggled to concentrate, and 67% did not always feel motivated. And this, remember, was related to their identities. 62% um, chose not to participate in class questions or discussions. 57% thought they achieved lower marks. 55% did not feel they acquired skills. So similar kind of messages that were coming out about the school's experiences. Just under half had missed classes. Again, Jesus, I missed loads of classes. But, but they were relating this to their identities. 24% uh, had changed university or institution, and 6% had dropped out of university as a result of their experiences. So again, responses to negative experiences varied. Sometimes people highlighted the inadequate support in place within institutions. So this example, university counsellors just seemed to be trained to nod unhelpfully. No specialist training in gender or sexuality. It was a ridiculous waste of time. And this links with my previous research with LGBT youth that suggests therapeutic responses are often suggested by educational institutions, but which are not always experienced as helpful by the young people themselves. Others identified their own actions in an attempt to improve their education setting. So one said, I generally saw and heard derogatory remarks and situations that others were in. This motivated me to restart the LGBT society in my university and to try my best to show that different sexualities and gender norms were okay. In terms of employment, there, there was way more data that I kind of haven't picked out today, but there were clear links between school and university experiences and perceived job opportunities and potential for career progression or enhancement. So in total, 19% felt their ability to gain employment had been affected by prior experiences of bullying or discrimination, and 17% felt their CV was not as good as other people's, and 13% said that having fewer or lower qualifications had affected the range or level of jobs they could apply for. And what was also interesting was how much people seemed to hide their LGBT-related activities or activism, which they'd been involved in whilst at university. So you would think they were the most kind of confident advocates in order to then try gain employment. There was quite a few examples around this. I've just picked out this one. There are things I'm too afraid to put on my CV, such as my activities with my university's LGBT society. And kind of anecdotally I've had experience of students saying very similar um, when they're talking about their dissertation title oh can I put that on my CV but look what my dissertation was about um, so I find students do need kind of reassuring about that sometimes so drawing together existing literature and my own data I'd suggest there is a broad continuum of LGBTQ experiences of education beyond schooling at one end of this continuum, university could be described as a positive experience that facilitates greater freedom to explore sexual and gender identities, practices and so on within a more welcoming and inclusive environment than school. 
and this kind of one example encapsulates that, I think higher education is much, much, much more accessible, a better place for LGBTQ students. For me as a gay man, I found it very open and encouraging and friendly. And this has also been found in previous UK-based research, where Scourfield, Rowan and McDermott have suggested that the commonest strategy of resilience spoken of by our research participants was finding safe places and safe people. So this word safety again. Some of the LGBT students spoke of their escape to university in this way. At the other end of the continuum, university is definitely not a place of safety or freedom for some LGBTQ people. Again, I'd like to illustrate this from my own research and that of McDermott, Rowan and Scourfield. They found similar diversity. From the Iglio research, one participant clearly linked negative experiences and by implication unsupportive environments with their ability to complete university. So she said, as an LGBTQ person, I've experienced more depression and less friendship and I've spent huge amounts of time sorting out myself and my emotions than I would have done otherwise. This made it harder for me to choose the right course and may make me drop out of university. And in the other UK research I'm drawing on, McDermott et al. described a violent homophobic incident a, a participant had experienced at university, which they described as probably the scariest thing that happened in the first year of uni, but which they did not report. So on the one hand, higher education may be a place to escape to, and on the other hand, it may, pro may provide a context which supports incidents that people need to escape from. Of course, partly this is a result of differing lived experience, different individuals, different courses, different universities with different cultures in different locations. But I do think it illustrates the need for a nuanced understanding of university life for LGBTQ students beyond the bullying image that is so often portrayed or assumed, particularly at compulsory education level. So in conclusion, I'm just going to highlight some key points. Um, negative experiences of or in higher education can have specific impacts on young LGBTQ people's education and employment opportunities. And these impacts include loss of confidence, isolation, attendance or participation issues and lack of motivation or concentration, resulting in potential academic attainment and achievement disadvantage. Identifying as LGBTQ can impact upon a person's plans or aspirations for the future regarding choice of studies or career, as well as migration decisions. And in my research, migration issues were apparent in people's desire to avoid certain areas for education and employment, and in people's desires to move to locations with more progressive legislative frameworks in which to live their lives. However, caution is needed to not portray LGBTQ people as inherent victims, as not all experiences were negative, meaning a one-size-fits-all approach from professionals may not be helpful. So how do we provide services if there are such diverse experiences? So at a minimum, I would suggest the following, though I'm sure you know, we'll talk about practice implications throughout the day but a starter. Um, first, an inclusive campus and curriculum with visible diversity, including LGBTQ identities and histories throughout, and I'd suggest that may necessitate training and information for staff. Second, available advice, information and support, including careers related, that is, is inclusive and useful to LGBTQ students, but which does not assume victimhood. 
Third, facilitation and support for student-led peer organisation and activities, for example via the NUS and institution-based LGBT society or groups. So when the NUS argued, a great majority of LGBT respondents would like to see LGBT perspectives and authors more systematically included in the curriculum where this is possible. This would create a greater sense of belonging for LGBT students and show universities' commitment to equality and diversity. <coughs> Furthermore, a more sensitive, sensitive attitude from academic staff towards sexual orientation and gender identity would help LGBT students to feel more included in the classroom. Heterosexuality should not be assumed. Teachers should try to diversify their examples and exercises to take into account everyone's perspective. I might be running short of time. They're the NUS recommendations, which I'm not um, going to go over. In terms of remaining evidence gaps, in addition to the areas where we have less research than America that I've already mentioned, in terms of careers, LGBT mentoring specifically, which I think might be a newer development, particularly when it's formalised, I'd also like to leave you thinking about some of the other evidence gaps. So there's been research into adult learning in further education settings, one kind of commissioned report by the Skills Funding Agency, but generally there's a marked absence of literature on further education, and again, picking up an earlier point, there's also an, uh, less research that looks at the experiences of older LGBTQ students and how these may or may not be different to those of younger LGBTQ students. And the NUS have also argued there's a need for more detailed research into students' halls. And there's also some evidence that bisexual students may have particularly poor experiences, which again suggests the needs for further investigation. The NUS have also pointed to the need for further exploration into the impact of LGBT youth homelessness on education and employment. And as I suggested earlier, I think there's a space for more detailed understanding of the impact and experiences of LGBT groups and societies on campus, as well as their role in decision-making prior to university. And I'd also like to see more research in the UK with trans and non-gender binary identifying students and potential students which would develop the growing body of trans-specific work in the US. So in the last five years, there's been quite a growth in that area. Um, and I said I would leave you again with the Freshest to Finals project. Uh, so I will um, produce a fuller literature review as part of the report. Um, and if anyone does have their own research or other stuff they're aware of, obviously you can let me know, um, and I'll try to include it. The report and guidance document which I will produce in consultation with um, some groups of students and young people I'm arranging to see, uh, will again come out in July. And we will be having two um, kind of final events. The plan is one um, at the Lesbian and Gay Foundation in Manchester and one at Hallam in Sheffield. Um, again, if people are interested about those events, you can um, give me your email address or something and I'll keep you in touch. And that's me. Done. Thank you. Oh, I have questions. <laughs>